0: and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. Thank you so much for joining us. And
1: my name is Ben McCallery and welcome to episode 175.
0: We are getting up there. Aren't with, we? With our numbers. That's, yeah. That's a, like, that's a lot of talking.
1: <laughs> Think of how many hours of talking that is. Scary. I'd, it
0: is scary. And <laughs> you remove all the, like the little arguments that we have while we're recording it, and it's even more. Not that we argue. We never argue.
1: No. No. Uh, In this episode, you speak to Carolyn Tate for the third time.
0: I do. She is a uh, return guest. 3 Pete. A 3 Pete, exactly. I spoke with Carolyn. We did a a double header, actually. We had a a two-parter last September. Carolyn uh, and I spoke back then about conscious capitalism uh, in great depth. And I loved speaking with her and we've been in touch ever since. And Carolyn really is driven by purpose. This is something that she's passionate about. This is something she's written a a new book about. But purpose specifically for people in their work. And given the listener survey results that that you guys have sent in over the past couple of months, which have been phenomenal, and again, thank you for them, this is a huge issue that many of you are facing: how to find purpose in work specifically, and how to then apply it to not only work but also, you know, all the other elements of life as well. And yeah.
1: How do you How do you apply your why at your existing job? And basically? the biggest issue yeah.
0: I think about it, and Carol and I talk about this in great depth, yeah. is. So often we're told that in order to live a purposeful, meaningful life, we need to quit our jobs, like our day jobs, yep. go and start a business or become a freelancer or work on becoming a digital nomad and mm. living, you know, in a hut on the beach and, and making $100,000 a year. Like that's the, that's the myth that we're currently being told about purposeful work mm. and it's just crap. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. And this is what Carolyn is completely passionate about teaching people. That's actually what her book is about, The Purpose Project. She breaks it down into different uh, elements and different case studies, but essentially she's passionate about helping people find their purpose within an organization and be those change makers or start to work with people who are change makers. Because really, in order for our somewhat wobbly society to write itself, Mm. it's not necessarily going to be the digital nomads who do that. Like we are a corporate society, there are massive organizations that are in control of a lot of areas of, of mm-hmm. you know, life, I guess. Yeah. Whether we like that or not. And in order for change to happen at the rate that it needs to happen, I feel and you know, Carol and I talk about it, that those corporations and the people running them also need to change. Right. And that's sort of where we where we we get into it. So Carolyn comes from a background in corporate. She worked in banking for 15 or 17 years and she works with a lot of small business owners now. Uh, and you can see that yeah. know, in, what, in the way yeah. she talks about finding purpose and applying it. Uh, and I just I, I, I walked away from this conversation feeling really refreshed. It was really refreshing. Mm. Yeah.
1: This conversation came at the right time, didn't it? It really yeah. did. Mm. Yeah, it really for, did. For, for not only the listeners but for us as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so I would highly recommend that you check out Carolyn's new book. You can actually download a sample of it for free over at carolyntaite.co. It's Carolyn with a Y, Tate, T-A-T-E, dot .co. I will have links to that in the show notes. You can also buy a copy of the book via her website and connect with her social media channels. She's also the founder of Slow School. Again, all the links are over at carolyntaite.co. But yeah, highly recommend it. It's wonderful. And so is Carolyn. And so is this conversation. I really, really enjoyed it.
1: And for all those links, you can also go over to slowyourhome.com 175. Before we get into the show, I'd like to do a quick shout out. Okay. And I want to shout out to our Patreon supporters. Patreon patrons.
0: It's the patronage of Patreon.
1: Specifically, I just wanted to thank them for their continued support. They do that over at patreon.com slash slow. And in this month, actually, we're going to start some new and exciting things for our Patreon supporters. So if you are a supporter, look out for that. If you want to support the show, again, head on to, again, head over to patreon.com slash slow and get ready
0: yeah it's actually i'm, I'm really excited We're really about excited. what we have planned but more than anything just thank you yeah it does mean a lot that that you guys are willing to support us in that way so we love you
1: we love you and we love carolyn <laughs> enjoy the show
0: Hello, Carolyn. Hi, Brooke. How are you?
2: I'm fantastic on this wintry, cold Melbourne
0: morning. Is it cold?
2: Yes, it is. It's cold and wet and miserable.
0: Oh, that sounds kind of (laughs) lovely to me. (laughs) I don't know. I actually don't know if there's something... A little wrong with me, but it's been such a beautiful autumn here. Like It's meant to be 23, 24 degrees uh, next week, and I'm kind of over it. I want it to get cold. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, maybe we could swap, we could swap. places like for a week or two. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that would be nice. I just want to get rugged up. So uh, we spoke in September last year. We had a cracking, epic two-part conversation uh, and we focused a lot on, on um, you know, your story, first of all, I guess, but then also intentional living and your work with conscious capitalism and B Corps and ethical manufacturing, all that kind of stuff, ethical marketing. And in that conversation, we scratched the surface of purpose, I think, because, I mean, you get a very strong sense of your purpose personally and how it imbues in everything that you have done since But that's what I want to talk to you about today specifically is purpose and on the back of some really insightful and challenging listener questions about work and finding purpose, our own personal purpose and applying it to our work when our workplaces may not necessarily be supportive of that. Uh, And that's really where I want to kind of focus on today because you've written a beautiful new book about it. So congratulations on the book.
2: Mm, thank you, Brooke. It's very exciting, and yeah, it's like giving birth to a to a baby. <laughs> it feels like that. I'm very excited by the book, and I think it presents purpose in a way that um, perhaps other people aren't talking about purpose yes. in the market. Um, I think a lot there are a number of books on the subject, and a lot of them seem to be directed at the leaders of corporations and not necessarily. The people within those corporations. So I'm I'm a big believer that purpose doesn't need hierarchy. That it's actually something everyone can own and bring to their daily work.
0: So I mean, I, I agree, but and, and it's so refreshing to see your work focused on those people. I think because that's I mean that's what organisations are, aren't they? They're made of people. They're not made of just one you know, the CEO's philosophy. But mm. um, I and I, I find it incredibly refreshing to see Mm. that focus.
1: Why is it
0: important, first of all, for for people to have a clear idea of their own personal purpose? Why does that matter?
2: Mm, I just think it brings more joy to our lives in in view of the fact that we're doing work that's meaningful to us but also that it's consequential to other people. And um the favorite a lot of people talk about purpose and like it seems to be some utopian Thing that's sort of out there and not possible to grab a hold of or it's kind of a bit inconceivable. And so I um, love the definition of purpose that um, was put forward by a man called William Damon who wrote a, a seminal book on purpose called Path to Purpose. It's something that I'd thoroughly recommend um, the listeners um, get a, a hold of. And uh, he, he has a definition of purpose which I think is really tangible and practical and something that you can grab a hold of. And his definition is, bear with me, it's a bit bit long, um, is a stable and generalised intention to accomplish something that is at the same time meaningful to the self and consequential for the world beyond the self. Mm. And it's worth just, I think, Mm, sitting with that definition and and allowing it to bed in and and, and thinking about the three essential elements to that that definition are firstly it's about accomplishing something. So we need to adopt a project or we test or we experiment or we do something because action always precedes clarity of purpose. I think it's very easy to sit here and dream of our eyes sort of Being on some desert island in some other country, you know, um, sitting on a lap (laughs) top earning millions and, you know, drinking pina coladas or whatever. Um, But it really is about accomplishing something and adopting a project um, to test and experiment actually whether you're on the right path. And the second thing is that it's meaningful to us. So that it's something we love doing, that we lose track of time, that it taps into our values and what we stand for and what we believe in and those sorts of things. And then it's also in service to others. So it's got to be consequential for the world. So it's meaningful to others. It helps others. It serves others. It makes a positive impact, whether that's on the environment or whether it's on our own community or even our own family. And so um, for me... I probably have totally gone off track from answering your question, Not but enough. I think it's really important to understand what purpose is and not get attached to that word purpose as well because there's a lot of other words for it calling meaning raison d'etre which is the french term reason for being ikigai which is a japanese term for reason for being so it's not getting attached to the word it's getting attached to or it's getting focused on the action or the intention and the the um activities i guess that we undertake to kind of us towards working towards more meaning mm.
0: Mm. i think that's such a wonderful definition i think it just so beautifully sums up uh, yeah all of all of the elements of when i think of purpose it's very hard to kind of sum that up in a few a few words i think that's a beautiful definition
2: yeah
1: how
0: yeah uh, I, I i when was it it was a, probably three months ago now by the time this this show uh, is published but we Ben and I went through a, a series of uh, short episodes this year helping people to kind of tap into what their why might be and then using mm-hmm. that a broad sort of definition of what their why is to start to extrapolate um, you know their personal values and then how to mm-hmm. apply them in day-to-day life but yeah how, uh, you know and I think that's something that people have found really really helpful but I know that some people people have found the way that we encourage them to do it, which was to look at their legacy or write a eulogy as being very, it's very confronting, which I can completely understand. How do you encourage Mm. people to start to uncover their own purpose and their own why? So
2: maybe I might share a story to give a bit of context and demonstrate that to you. I was um, speaking at a large organisation recently and an organisation that's not necessarily publicly respected i'm not going to mention names and with a long-term workforce you know people that have been there 30 something years in this organization and i shared the story of the golden buddha which i'm i may have shared before but it's basically yeah um i won't go into that story but basically we're all born a golden buddha but we end up being a clay buddha because we get added all these layers and layers of Stuff and conditioning and, and so on that, that kind of takes us away from our true essence, our gold. And so I'd shared this story about the golden Buddha in the um, talk that I was giving to these long-term corporate employees and, and the man said, well, I know our company perhaps was born a golden Buddha so this concept of 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 golden intent or golden Buddha works for individuals as well as organisations and he said... I know when we first started our company many, many eons ago that it was born with a golden intent and and now the layers of clay are so stuck on our organisation. There's no way that I think I can make a contribution to cracking the clay of the organisation to help us return to a higher purpose. And then he asked me his advice on what he should do and I... I was really like for a minute really stuck and I just sat there and I breathed, you know, I just breathed in and I just, like I felt that poor man because he just was saying to me, I want to find my why. My organisation doesn't have a why but how can I bring that thing into my work? And um, I asked him a couple of questions about things he was passionate about outside of work. So instead of giving advice, I asked a question And he didn't really have an answer about what he was passionate about beyond his family and, you know, the normal parts of life. And my advice to him about bringing his wider work was to colour wildly outside of the edges of his normal day-to-day existence and to find the courage to do and, you know, explore his latent creative talents or to go out and be curious and try some new things and adopt for himself a project that might help him find that enthusiastic why outside of work and then once he once he could tap into that what he would learn from that or what he would experience he could actually bring into his daily work so I see this all the time where you know a woman I was talking to passionate about nutrition she'd been studying it she worked for a big finance company she couldn't see the connection and I encouraged her to actually continue her studies, become really good at what she does and actually bring her health and nutrition, knowledge, experience, passion into her work and be a self-leader and actually work out a way that she can still be employed by that company, still do her day job, but actually bring that thing she's really passionate about to work and take responsibility for Having the conversation with her leaders or her managers about how she might integrate those things into her daily work,
0: and I love that because I think so often we look at it as a either or kind of situation. You know, we we don't often see the opportunity maybe to bring our purpose or our why or our mm. to the work that we're currently doing and make them make them part of the same thing. And I think Ben and I have spoken about this quite a lot recently. I think it's sort of the idea of passion has been kind of co-opted into the same conversation that used to surround um, passion. So purpose is now the the new, like, and, and it's not, it's got nothing to do with it, but I think that people mm. hear the word purpose and they think, well, that means I need to quit my job, and if I find my purpose, then I won't need, like I won't truly have to work, or I won't have to hustle or I won't have to struggle or, or you know, find it difficult if I just find my purpose. Uh, yeah. I don't think that that's the case. I think that's, you know, when you and I were talking before we hit record, that the, the whole quit your job and find your bliss kind of mm. advice isn't necessarily very helpful <laughs> for most people. You know, so I love that you say, you know, bring what your passion, bring what your, your purpose or your why into the work that you're doing and use that as a base to, to start impacting.
2: I'm a big um, fan of the idea of BYO purpose or bring your own purpose to work no matter where you work and that if we can colour outside the edges of our life, um, of our daily existence, which I think um, is really sadly how the vast majority of us uh, live, we kind of go to work, we come home, we feed our families, we go to bed, we get up, we do the same thing and and if you ask people what they love, it most often is very um, quite often quite conventional response, you know, sport, my family, those sorts of things. And they probably, many people don't really, um, may not have an idea of what it is that really lights them up, what they're passionate about. And I don't mean, as in watching movies or going to an art gallery or going to football or whatever their sport is. To me, a lot of that's that's voyeurism. It's actually not participation. Mm. And, and there's a big thing about doing things where you actively jump in boots and all and get your hands dirty and do things rather than see things or, or
0: watch things. Which goes back to your initial definition of purpose, doesn't it? Which yeah. really does differentiate it from passion. Like you can be passionate yeah. about films, you can be passionate about the football, uh, but it's not purpose. That's a really no. important distinction. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's actually about doing something and it's a way we test our purposes by actually doing things and so the big opportunity for organisations, I think, you know, there's a lot of research now uh, done by all the four big consulting firms around um, purpose and it's imperative for driving business into the future. There's a lot of research supporting that an organisational purpose can drive productivity, Um, staff happiness and engagement it drives performance it drives profitability and there's many leaders around the world now that are recognizing a higher purpose than profit is the imperative to drive the future success of their company however many of those leaders um, are not activating their own purpose so you know it's kind of like well It's one thing to say our organisation should have one, but if I, as a leader, am not living my own purpose and bringing it into my daily work, then it's not possible for our organisation to actually live and breathe organisational purpose. And there's a very large percentage. I just read a report yesterday from PwC that um, while all of the leaders of the world believe that purpose is essential, a very small percentage of them actually place priority on it. Right. or actually have the understanding or the knowledge of how to bring it to life. And so what's this result, what this has resulted in is a lot of purpose washing in the organ in, in the marketplace where companies are spending a lot of money with consulting firms and ad agencies to come up with some sexy new purpose mm-hmm. statement, which then gets plastered on their website. And that's more doing more harm than good. They might as well say our purpose is to maximise our profit because at least that would be honest.
0: Well, exactly. Otherwise, so, other than just sort of trying to, to fool people into thinking yeah, that the work has been done yeah. and they're, they're now t- kind of acting it out. Wow, yeah. that's fascinating.
2: Yeah. So so what happens is the purpose promise doesn't match the purpose experience right. and and, you know, I've got a lot of examples where I see that happening. I can analyse a company's purpose statement and know pretty well whether it's something that employees will even understand or feel like they take ownership of because, you know, I have a big believer that what you create, what you what you have a hand in creating, you take ownership of. And so, trickle down purpose, like trickle down economics, doesn't work in organisations. It's something, as I said previously, purpose doesn't need hierarchy. It's actually something that the purpose activists within organisations need to be given the mandate for um, activating and bringing to life. And it's where a company has a higher, you know, a higher organisational purpose. So, I mean, one of the the companies I can give an example. Um, in due course but where a company has a very clearly articulated high purpose that staff have ownership of and feel responsible for 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 delivering on it becomes part of it it's the foundation of the strategy it's the foundation on which decisions are made it's the foundation on where, which the cult, which the culture is built and then when you add in the layer of enabling people to bring their own purpose right into the workplace then you have you can transform cultures by the intersection of organizational purpose and personal purpose and i think that's the challenge that we're seeing in the marketplace and what i'm hoping my book will address is how do we get real about this thing that of of what purpose is and and stop applying you know some lipstick to it and making it real because you know (laughs) this is a very gross statement but you know it's like lipsticking the pig (laughs) 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 the lipstick is 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 really only it's just not it's it's people will see through that and you know public perception of so many big organizations banks and other organizations is is really at an all-time low and it has been for many many years you know when they're making billions and billions in profit profit is good if it's directed for a good cause and it only doesn't need to be billions and billions you know is my view but not not to get into capitalist conversations but you know If if you have a higher purpose as an organisation, it has to be reflected in employment, in productivity, in profitability, in the wages that CEOs are paid, in in so many other aspects. It can have a ripple effect when it's really, really done well. And I think organisations know they need it, but they're seriously struggling with how do they bring it to life and make it meaningful and then how do they engage their people in it but also give them the power empowerment to bring their own wider work
0: which which sort of brings me to the next question can one person who isn't you know in the leadership kind of level of an organization can one person affect change in an organization
2: yeah definitely you know within a team like I think we can also if we we work within a team it's not about the organization it's about the people Mm. and it's about the people that make up the team so if you are Truly passionate about, I'll, I can give, give you an example of a litigation lawyer who I spoke to recently who was about to quit her work and really didn't like the organisation she worked for and didn't, didn't feel like she was making a difference. And you know, I asked her a couple of questions about what she would truly loved you know, way back when and she said that when she was at university, she was actually running a mentoring program for women in law. And so she was matching women that were studying law with women that were already practicing law um, as a mentoring program. And so I challenged her to go to her boss and actually for her to pitch a purpose project to her boss on how the company might sponsor a women in law mentoring program. So to this day, I don't know if she did it, but her natural reaction was to run away from that law firm instead of thinking about how she might develop some kind of project or a purpose project that she could bring into her company and take ownership of. And I'm, my my view is always that we should start right where we are right now with all that we have
1: mm.
2: and and do the work outside of work to get really clear on what really excites us and motivate, motivates us and what our why is so that we can explore how we bring it to work rather than run away and, you know, create something anew.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly, which, which you and I were talking about a little bit before we hit record was this idea that with purpose kind of coming to the fore and people realizing how important it is, we're often sold the idea that in order to live purposefully or to do work that is aligned with our purpose, we need to Give up our job, and we need to become entrepreneurs. And then we probably need mm. to focus on, you know, being a digital nomad because apparently that's what you need to do in order to be purposeful. You know, so <laughs> goes the, the popular story. But I, I think that it is vital for society and for you know for people to to have people in all areas of business and government and you know nonprofit who are absolutely. I mean, if if there was a whole generation of people who just up sticks and tried to. Make businesses that they could run from a laptop in the Bahamas, then you know <laughs> things, things wouldn't work very well, so yeah think, what, what are your thoughts on that that current kind of story?
2: I absolutely agree. I think that starting your own business is risky business. you know nine in ten small businesses fail, and it, it, you know as a myself, I had twenty years in corporate and I've had fifteen years in my own business. And I have seen the pros and cons of both. And, you know, there's a lot of great things about being in a corporate environment. You have the resources to, and the people that can support you when you need it. You've got access to incredible training and learning. There are so many amazing things at corporate health and wellbeing programs. The list goes on. And there's so many wonderful opportunities that people in the corporate world are given to actually start to cultivate their own personal evolution and growth. And in small business, all of that stuff you have to pay for yourself. You know, you've got to, you've got to find the money to go to that course or that program that you want to go to. You know, you've got to find the time outside of the day-to-day work to do it as well. I mean, time and money are the two things that we all have equal amount. Well, we don't all have equal amounts of money, of course, but we all have equal amounts of time. And I think that quite often, if we look at our checkbook and the way we spend our look at our calendar, we can see what's most important to us just by reflecting on those those areas where where we spend our time and our money. But that whole idea of fleeing our job um, and finding our why in some other country, some other job, or some other or some other business is is actually flawed and as human beings we are conditioned to not deal with pain so we flee it. So instead of you know we might be at work and we hate our job um, and instead of actually shining the spotlight on the pain that we're experiencing in that job and actually using it as a way to grow and bust you know bust through the pain and as a way to grow we end up kind of fleeing and looking for Something better somewhere else, and there's never ever going to be any guarantee that where we go, somewhere else is going to be better than where we are right now.
0: We're always kind of looking at the the grass the grass being greener, aren't we? Yeah. So, what are some ways that that people can grow, people can expand and get curious and try things without leaving their current workplace? What are some things that they can do? Well, I think. Starting the
2: purpose journey. It's Firstly, um, just know that don't be serious about it, be curious about it. You know, like the idea that you've got to find that why. And look, there are multiple whys for people as well. I think that it changes and sometimes we think we know our why and life circumstances just hit us in the face, either good or bad, things happen. And we can suddenly be diverted towards a bigger calling or a new calling. And so I think we've got to treat this whole subject with a little bit of um, curiosity and and, um, uh, lightness rather than seriousness. And that starts with, you know, a number of practices that I've written about in the book. The first thing is just surrendering to what is right now. You know, why am I not happy at work? What's not working for me is it the people is it the job that I'm doing is it the environment that I'm working in um, am I taking that home to my family if I'm not happy or vice versa is the troubles that I'm having in my personal life being reflected in my work life and just truly sitting and surrendering to the whole feeling of where you are right now without judgment without feeling like you're not good enough, without berating yourself because you feel like you're not reaching your highest potential, Um, just really making that uh, awareness or that um, surrendering of where you are right now, I think is a really important place to start. And being curious, you know, doing things that you wouldn't normally do. Courageous, courage and curiosity are are great um, bed partners. It's like having the courage to be curious and do something that you never wouldn't have done. So, you know, maybe when you're a kid you love dancing and or you loved painting or you love some creative pursuit. Go and just attend a painting class. Do something, anything that, that reconnects you to those things that, that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And look the funny thing is our purpose lies in our past and it's from our past that we create our future. And it's not about digging into, you know, the bowels of every atrocious, horrible thing that might have happened to us as a child. It's actually about reconnecting those to those things that brought us joy, and we uh, we we use that for our steps towards towards meaning. Um,
0: and is that a pattern that you see just time and time again of people? Uh, discovering their, their purpose and recognizing that it's something that was already in their past, that, that they've already kind of experienced or that they used to love?
2: Over and over and over again, Brooke, every single person I talk to, if I ask them what were the things that brought you most pain in your life, what were the things that brought you most joy in your life, they are always, and very often it's the pain, the pain actually leads to purpose wow. because from that they've actually – um, being able to c- create something that they haven't brought fully to life. So it's sitting there, it's latent, it's waiting. I see it time and time and time again that our purpose comes from a deep exploration of our
0: past. That is so fascinating to me. I've never heard anyone <laughs> say it like that before. I mean it makes perfect sense. It absolutely does and I'm just sitting here thinking about like myself and seeing absolutely mm. I can see that. Um, you know, the, the kernels of that from way back, way back in my childhood. But Absolutely. It will always be there. So
2: like it, when I was in the corporate world, so I was in the corporate world for 20 years and I went back through my whole career and the part of my career that I absolutely loved the most that just like I got up every day busting with joy was when I was working in Westpac in the training department for four years. And I was turning up every – six when I was a child, at seven I wanted to be a teacher. When I was 14 I wanted to be a teacher. That was my calling. Mm. And then when I was 18 I went and worked in banking. So go figure. Like I did not pursue my calling. Then when I was in banking, the best job and the one that I absolutely loved was in teaching. Wow. <laughs> And so I and I still to this day like it gives my heart a little flutter when I think about that, and it's ended up becoming my my life's work has been writing and teaching. And so our past, but I'm teaching about subjects I'm passionate about now. You know, it, at times it wasn't so exciting teaching people how to use a computer. You know? It was at the time when they just bought in computers for banking. So that shows you how old I am. And I used to have to teach the tellers how to use this new um, – it was the Macintoshes. Do you you probably are too young to remember those big square box Macintosh machines.
0: No, I remember those. Machines.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, they were just bought into the, to banking when I was actually in training, so I used to have to teach, um, you know, branch employees and tellers how to actually use this new system. And so whilst I wasn't so passionate about – the subject I was teaching I certainly was passionate about working with people teaching them sharing ideas and actually connecting with people and I you know I loved it so I always know and like it's the same with writing you know I'm about to release my my fifth book not to brag but I didn't know that I really loved writing until I did it at the age of 40 I wrote my first book And I knew in my past that I used to love writing essays and I used to love those things. But at the time, I wasn't really aware that I had a real love and passion for doing that. So I didn't actually even – I wasn't paying attention. So I couldn't set my intention if I wasn't paying attention at that particular time.
0: So, yeah. What you just said with the the idea of I wasn't paying attention – I'm just sitting here mm. thinking about how how purpose and kind of simplifying life are sort of in a chicken and the egg kind of relationship, aren't they? Because, mm. yeah. you know, if, you, if you're able to simplify or slow down a little, you give yourself a little yeah. more space to start to think about yeah. these things and pay attention to those things. Yeah. And if you've tapped yeah. into your purpose, it gives you yeah. the, the foundation and the confidence to pay attention to the things mm. that matter and let go of the things that don't.
1: and and that's
0: why I think that I'm I find I'm so drawn to this idea of purpose even though my core kind of fascination is with with simplicity and and slowing down and finding space but I think that they are so closely related and yeah it's it's really fascinating to see that
2: yeah I I I, I'm I'm 100% with you Brooke because I think we have very complex complexity is the is the is the is the kills purpose Mm. it it totally does the more complex our lives are the more we fill it up with stuff which is often thoughtless or pointless Um, the more we fill it with stuff the less time we actually have to create purpose requires time it actually doesn't require money most often it just requires time and so we have very complex lives and I believe that living simply is a core practice to finding your purpose, that we actually have to take out stuff from our lives before we can create the space we need for, you know, finding that calling or that purpose. So, you know, simplicity is actually, you know, very important component of creating space for purpose.
0: Oh, you've brought you have just brought so much clarity <laughs> to everything mm-hmm. I've been thinking over the past kind of twelve months, really. Now I just want to to finish up with a question that I received from a listener a while ago, and I did my best to answer her, but I feel like you're in a much better position to to offer some insight. And essentially, she asked about the fact that her work was not fulfilling her desire for living a purpose-driven life as much as she wanted it to. She said she's made lots of changes uh, in, in other areas of her life and in work she's been able to make some to bring it more in alignment with her why, but it's not fulfilling her desire to be more purpose-driven and, and, and values-aligned, I guess. And my mm. advice, and you may well tell me that it was completely incorrect, was to to accept that sometimes it's not going, it's not going to be an all or nothing kind of situation. It's not going to be mm. 100% in alignment with our purpose, particularly if you work in a large organisation, there's going to be compromise or flex that needs to happen in order to mm-hmm. find that that kind of kernel of purpose in your work. But what's your mm-hmm. your insight into, into Susan's question?
2: Well, I think your response was fabulous. Like I, I agree totally. And I would add some other, if she's doing some work around her own why and what she really loves and, you know, let's say she is passionate about writing, for example. Is she doing courses outside of that? Is she actually cultivating, you know, that thing that she's really passionate about outside of work? But then depending on the size of the organisation that she works for, my view would be about, well, if it's a large organisation – There must be departments, divisions, leaders, managers who would actually help her cultivate that thing within the organisation. So, very often, and this is what really intrigues me about the whole recruitment and employment world, is that everyone's out there scouting for jobs that are actually advertised online, whether that's on Seek or wherever it is. And very often, we're actually trying to retrofit who we want to be and what we want to offer. To some job description or some um, advertisement for a position, or you know, some recruitment dude rings up and says, "Hey, we've got this great job for you at blah blah organisation. You know, we think you'd be perfect." So then you run around and write a CV that will try and hopefully retrofit that particular job. But what if we were to write our own perfect job description, mm. our own perfect? role like as a business person you write a business strategy <clears throat> some do right a business <laughs> strategy <laughs> but uh, if we decide that we want to be employed you know write our own job description and start searching for that job within the organization that we work for or consider what elements of that job description might be able to be brought into our work mm. and i think that that the way employment is structured at the moment is very linear and it's all about the key performance indicators and the job description and the sales targets and the, the very linear head-based, kind of rational functional elements of work, but if we were to create our own job description or or CV around the ideal job that we would want that that takes into account the spiritual emotional um, functional financial elements of work and we start to be proactive in our approach because I think in a lot of organizations we act as victims we, we think it's our leaders' responsibility to make us happy at work or our manager's responsibility or whatever that, that it's up to others to make us happy at work mm-hmm. and I think that that there's so much that we can do even in the way we interact with our co-workers, the way we interact with customers, um, partners, suppliers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I would just be asking her to step up and be a bit more courageous in the way she presents herself at work.
0: Yeah, it's such solid advice, I, and I, I really like your distinction on on the fact that it's not up to our managers or our leaders necessarily to make sure we're happy at work. You know, that's something that we can start to to bring our own purpose and our own. Courage and curiosity, as you say, to, to yeah. the situation. Oh, That's wonderful. Carolyn, thank you so much for your time and your insight and your wisdom. And I, I, I've i got about five or six different thoughts rolling through my head that I just want to sit down and, and write about <laughs> after talking to you because I feel like you've brought a lot of clarity to, to the relationship between purpose and, and simplicity that I hadn't necessarily been able to articulate before so thank you.
2: You're welcome Brooke and um, it's always such a pleasure talking with you. As I said before we got on the phone you're one of the best interviewers I know and I really really appreciate you know your wisdom and everything you do for for the slow movement and for slow uh, slow, slow home and living and you know I, I fundamentally believe that that simplicity, fools create complexity and geniuses create simplicity is a line that I heard and I can't even remember who who wrote that line but I just feel like simplicity is the key to unlocking so many things and it's the key to unlocking a fruitful life and for us each to reach our highest potential. And without simplicity we can't reach our potential.
0: No, I, I couldn't have said it better myself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Brooke
0: Jackrabbit FM for your ease. Who is that? Hi Puck Pass.